baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. This is a breaking news story right about at the same time as we were prepping for this show last week. So I I made the decision not to bring it to last week's show simply because I felt like I was unprepared. I could have just read the news story, but it was related to things we've done on this show. Welcome back, Wiggins America, by the way. Um, we're talking about Peter Navarro here and the fact that he was, let me read direct so I, I don't misquote, ex-Trump advisor Peter Navarro indicted by grand jury. Now that's, of course, the, the headline because they want you to look at criminal behavior. A federal grand jury has indicted Peter Navarro, a former Trump White House advisor, on two counts of criminal contempt of Congress for defying subpoenas from the House January 6th Select Committee. So basically they said, come in here, we want to ask you some questions. And he said, no thanks, I'm not going to do that. Well, the reason that I didn't run with that story last week is because we have audio of him telling us that. In fact, apparently we were the first people that he told that. Now, it'll need some context, but let me play the clip for you and just listen to what he said. A little breaking news for you. I just had a, a sheriff come and deliver a subpoena to me, uh, despite the fact um, I had already acknowledged that subpoena. So, we, you know, what they're trying to do is intimidate me, intimidate Steve Bannon, rattle their cages. Um, and uh, it's just such a waste of my time, the taxpayers' time. Um, and the Democrats' power. I mean, they're going to be out on their ass in 2022, um, and those those subpoenas aren't going to be worth any more than toilet paper. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the American economy is going to be in tatters because of what they do. So Peter Navarro said that here on Wiggins America back in November. We've had him on a couple times. I actually like his perspective a lot because, as I've said before, he's one of those guys. You talk to a lot of people. You talk to a lot of experts who are speculating or they're opining on things. Peter Navarro was there. And the fact that he has uh, developed at least somewhat of a relationship with this show is insider information. I mean, you get an advisor who was in the White House the whole time for this stuff, and you talk to him. So we have. He shared that with us in November. Now, I said this was context. He just got indicted by uh, criminal contempt for Congress by basically just not showing up for subpoenas. So that's that's the news. 
He didn't show up for subpoenas, though, for the January 6th committee. When he was talking to us, I do believe, now he didn't reference it specifically in that clip, but in that interview generally, we were talking about the COVID committees that were going on at the time. So they were they were subpoenaing him for that, and the breaking news was they had just showed up right before our interview and gave him those subpoenas. Uh, that, But those were for the COVID committees. My point of sharing it, though, is that his attitude was the same for those as it was for January 6th or whatever, is, look, you can subpoena me all you want. I know that you're doing a witch hunt, and I know that you're trying desperately to focus on anything other than the things that actually matter right now. And I know that if I wait you out, those those subpoenas aren't going to be worth the paper they're written on, which is what he said in that clip. Now, he ended up being wrong. <laughs> he did get uh, indicted by a federal grand jury for not showing up for those, so he wasn't able to wait them out long enough. But, shoot, he almost got there, right? We're at June now, and so we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. He, I'm sure he knows enough to know that, well, once this happens, then this happens, and he's probably just waiting for November, as he said. Okay, so that's one thing. Wiggins, America. News with an audience. The other news that's, I would say, related, if, if not in the same vein, at least in the same body of Congress, <laughs> is that Jared Kushner is under investigation now for his investments in Saudi Arabia. And I wanted to bring these two kind of uh, parallel stories up, not because they're, you know, Jared Kushner and Peter Navarro weren't necessarily best friends. In fact, I think Peter Navarro is probably not friends with a whole lot of people in the White House, which is one of the reasons that he stayed. He was one of the few. I mean, you remember Rance Priebus and these Steve Bannon, for instance. The, a lot of people who were involved in the Trump administration at the beginning were not by the end. And a lot of them were gone quick. I think Peter Navarro was one of only about three advisors who was there from the beginning right through the end. And it's because he wasn't afraid to not be friends. So he wasn't well-liked in the White House, as far as I understand. And it's because he would always, always call things like he saw them. Which means that I don't know if he was friends with Jared Kushner, but these are kind of parallel stories because we're talking about investigations in Congress and so on and so forth. Well, now the House Oversight Committee is investigating a $2 billion Saudi investment in Jared Kushner's firm. Initial reaction is probably a political witch hunt, right? Because you just go to your corner. However, I actually did kind of a deep investigation into this when it first started to show up. Now, this this investigation is new, but the rumbles that this was going on have been going on for a while. So if you go to Wiggins America, WigginsAmerica.com, you can find this article that I wrote about the comparison and differences between Jared Kushner, son of a president, and Hunter Biden, son of a president. These are two people who have made a lot of money off of their position and their name. Fact. Does that mean that they should be investigated? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that we should go to our corners here and go, oh, you, you're, you're investigating Jared Kushner. You can't do that. No, go ahead and investigate him. If you're taking money from foreign governments, investigate the hell out of them. I don't care. Go for it.
but just do the same for Hunter Biden. And that's the problem, that they're not going to do it. And Hunter Biden's stuff is more glaring than Jared Kushner's. So I compared and contrasted here, and so I'll give you that. First of all, the similarities. Hunter Biden, one, received millions of dollars from Ukraine and millions of dollars from China. Two, openly acknowledged that his name is the only reason he was receiving this money. Jared Kushner, one, received billions of dollars from Saudi Arabia. Two, did so despite the Saudi panel expressing issues with Kushner's inexperience. So clearly, it's name recognition. Hunter, openly on the laptop anyway, said, yeah, I'm getting this because of my name. Jared Kushner didn't say that, but Saudi Arabia basically did. So we're talking about two children of highly influential politicians. They've played the D.C. game. Rich foreign powers basically buying favor from American politicians is a dirty filthy pastime that didn't begin with the Bidens, didn't begin with the Trumps, the Pelosi's, the Carries, anybody else for that matter. They're all part of that same long, dirty game, and it's tough to rein in. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And it doesn't mean that it's party exclusive. Every party has done this. Therefore, both, both Kushner and Biden should be criticized and held accountable if they've crossed these legal lines. However, there are big differences between these two that should be noted. The first being that Kushner and Trump, by association, they were wealthy before entering politics. So they already were established business people, internationally even, before politics was a part of that. So you could say that they already had businesses moving and you could you have a better defense in that sense. The Bidens are only wealthy because of politics. Number two, Kushner set up this fund last year in a time when his father-in-law, Donald Trump, was neither in office nor running for office. Now, he probably will run again, but at that moment last year, he was not the president, and he had not declared that he was running for president. He actually held no political office at the time. Hunter, conversely, made all of his money while his father was a sitting U.S. senator, a sitting vice president, an active presidential candidate. We don't know beyond that. Most importantly, though, just to sum this whole thing up, multiple times, big, big difference here, the key difference, multiple times, Hunter Biden references his father getting a cut of money he received. That is a direct line to Joe Biden. So it goes beyond being fishy and dirty and gross to illegal. That line is not made between Jared Kushner and Trump. Although we all see it there, it's an invisible line. But the big difference is there is a direct line between Hunter and Joe and an indirect line between Jared and Trump. Those are differences. Now, I'm not necessarily defending them. I'm just saying that those differences do exist. I do want to be on record as saying I am okay with these things being investigated because they should, because they're dirty, because they're gross. And if foreign influences are trying to curry favor with any U.S. politician, whether it be Republican or Democrat, let's investigate it. Coming up in the segment right after this, we're going to have Julio Gonzalez on. He is a grassroots guy, but he's also the CEO of a couple companies. So 
He's a mover and shaker. He's uh, coming on the show to talk about the shift in Hispanic voting and this new pack that's going on in the House uh, to basically attract Hispanic voters and his, uh, attract Hispanic candidates to run for office in the GOP. That'll be next. Looking forward to that because I love, 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 love polling. And as you've probably seen, even if you don't like polling, the uh, the shift in Hispanic voters in the United States has been swift and dramatic toward the right in the last about six years. Uh, so that'll be an interesting conversation coming up next. I, I had some stuff I want to talk about, and I still do. I still do. But as I'm talking to you about this, and I'm talking about Julio Gonzalez, this little ad pops up on my computer screen that I'm looking at right now, and I can't, I can't look away from it. I've got news. I have something I want to share with you here. I have a few things, actually. But the, the little pop-up, and I think it's one of those kind of a virus things that somebody clicked on the wrong thing on this computer at some point. And so in the bottom right corner, there's these things that pop up about once every hour that are just some random news story that's clickbait. And I think it's an I think it's a spam thing, but every now and then the, the story is interesting enough that I want to click on it. This one's not one of those. <laughs> the headline is 1000 pound sisters star as in Thousand Pound Sisters is apparently a TV show. Tammy Slatten's home is broken into while she's in rehab. So A, I don't know what she was in rehab for. B, that does seem like a good time to break into somebody's house. When you know they're gone, when you know they're a thousand pounds and they can't not they can't move, I would think that's probably a, a, a really good target for breaking into. If you're a thief, which I'm not, I'm not advocating that you do it. I'm just saying, strategically speaking, pretty good target. So the takeaway for me is that there is a show called Thousand Pound Sisters, and I'm looking at a picture. I didn't even know you could be a thousand pounds and be alive. So maybe that's hyperbole. Maybe they're 500 pounds and they just call the show thousand pounds. Somebody clarify this for me. If you've seen Thousand Pound Sisters or you know that the show exists, somebody contact me wherever, Twitter, at Radio Wiggins, Facebook, WigginsAmerica.com. Of all the things that we talk about this morning, what I want to know the most is, can you actually be, are the Thousand Pound Sisters a thousand pounds? That's all I want to know. (laughs) Now, now, for the real thing that I wanted to get to. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and we kind of keep hitting on this subject because that's not going away. It's more of a thesis than it is anything. Everything seems to slide into it. It's this idea that Joe Biden and the administration around him, you know, we parse out what does he know, what does he not know? Is he, is he that incompetent or is he just evil? Is he trying to destroy things or is he just terrible at it? We, you know, we talk about those things a lot. But there's a, there's a bigger question here of, why do they keep doing things that they know? Now, this is where you get into, like, this is, has to be an evil thing. They know these things are politically disadvantageous to themselves. So why are they bucking the trend for every other politician ever in a democracy where they have to get votes to win and stay in power? They keep doing things that are highly unpopular with the public. 
and they're they're fine doing it. They they don't even care about publicizing it. It's not like they they're publicizing one thing and then doing another. They do that a lot too. But they they don't they they don't even care about hiding their unpopular things. Case in point, this happened a couple days ago. The Department of Justice asked the court to reverse the ruling lifting the requirements for COVID masks on airplanes and trains. Now, if you do polling on this, you're going to find that it's roughly the the polling is not in their favor, but it's not by a lot, which is why I think polling on this issue is a little bit off because the best poll you can do is get on an airplane. How many people are wearing masks? Get on a train. How many people are wearing masks? It's not 50%. It's a little higher than I would have thought it was because right when the thing was lifted, you saw pictures of people be like, oh my gosh, it's the day of, and they're taking selfies with the whole plane behind them. And it would be about 10% of the people wearing masks. It's higher than that. I'm going to say it's around 30% on average when I see pictures. I haven't been on a plane since then uh, or a train. Don't really go on trains that much anyway. I think if you're on the East Coast or West Coast, you're probably in trains more or maybe subways. Uh, But that's all local anyway. I'm talking about federal trains, federal mask mandates on airplanes. I think that you're talking about something that is widely unpopular, at least the forced masking of people. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that based on how many people are not wearing masks at all, but even the people that are wearing masks, they could have a health... Like for instance, if you get on a plane right now and you are just really worried about taking a virus, COVID or anything else, to your grandma who you're going to visit, and you decide, you know what, I'm going to wear an N95 on the plane and when I'm in the terminal, just because, well, that doesn't necessarily mean you're for mask mandates. That just means you're wearing one at that moment because you think, eh, I think this might help me a little bit. Maybe it'll help grandma. And then 95, right? Or anything else. I mean, even if you don't, you don't have the science behind you. Let's say that you're wearing a mask and you are just doing it for yourself. That doesn't mean that you believe in government mask mandates. So I think all the people, let's say it's 30% of people wearing masks. Even some of those people may not believe in the, the mandate itself. So I I just don't get back to the bigger thesis here. The bigger thesis being, can somebody be a thousand pounds and still be alive? (laughs) Or uh, whichever one you want to take, because that was the original, the the one kind of that I pivoted to is how, how does this administration operate if everything they do is against polling? Because in a democracy, that's, that's, I think that's one of the reasons I follow polling so much. Polling is supposed to reflect on the citizenry, and the citizenry is supposed to reflect on the leadership, and the leadership is supposed to respond to that. This leadership does not respond to the citizenry. It's like they look down and say, we know better than you. We're going to do things differently than you. It's almost as if, and here, let me conclude on this, and you kind of know where I'm going here. It's almost as if they don't fear voters. Now, what would make you not fear voters? I don't know. Maybe we look back at 2020 and we find out. Man, there's been a lot of news with that this week. Uh, yeah, we're hitting on that. We hit on that a little bit last week, too. And we will continue to because it's not going away. No matter how much we try to get away from it, you get into a topic like this of why does the Biden administration not seem to respond to the citizens of its own country? And you get into the question of are they afraid of their own voters? And maybe afraid is the wrong word. But 
why don't they respond to voters if they're trying to maintain power? Whether it be Biden, whether it be the people around him, they're in power right now. Usually you want to stay in power when you have it or you have the opportunity to because you're in your first term. They're not doing that. Wow. Wiggins America. Hmm. Big questions afoot. Well, thanks for being here this weekend. Like I said, Julio Gonzalez coming up next. I'm really looking forward to this interview because he is going to talk about why, the why behind this big shift in Hispanic voters toward Republicans. Hey, you don't think there's uh, any way I can get that quarter from underneath of your pointy boot, do you? Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Wiggins America 97.1 FM Talk. So I love, love talking about polls, and you probably know that if you listen to the show. You're probably sick of me talking about polls. But even if you're not a poll nut like I am, you've probably seen this headline around somewhere or another. Fox News, if, if you even glance at it when you're walking past, you see a Chiron, you've probably seen that Hispanic Americans are trending, at least according to the polls, toward the GOP more and more and rather quickly. And so here to talk about that today is Julio Gonzalez. He's the CEO and founder of Engineered Tax Services. He's also involved with this new political action committee that's been formed in the House, the Hispanic Leadership Trust. So Julio, what is the goal of this political action committee? Is it to reach out to more Hispanic candidates to run as Republicans, or is it to reach out to Hispanic voters to vote for Republicans? You know, it's really both. I mean, we're seeing that, like you said, the trend is going up in terms of Hispanic leaders that want to get involved in politics in their local communities. And also, from a voting standpoint, people that are getting more involved, understanding what the differences are between the parties and having a say at the local level as well from their vote. Julio, you are involved at that ground level and have been for a while. Why do you think this is happening now? Because the shift is really... It's rather remarkable. You don't see shifts like this within any demographic group uh, across the board this fast that Hispanic voters are moving in, in, I mean, double-digit numbers toward the GOP. Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think the one thing we have in common is we've all come from countries where we're running away from socialism and communism. And I think, you know, one of the things we say now here in our country is that we're feeling like this administration that's currently in place is trying to put in place a lot of things we were running from in our other countries. And ultimately, inflation, we all feel that, Hispanics, minorities, everyone here in the country, and and that's very compelling. I mean, everyone is having such a hard time with gas, with food, with all these other things that we have to buy. And I think those two combined issues really are the surmounting 
areas that are forcing us to look at a change and look at the Republican Party. You know, Julio, I'm in news. And so, you know, people in my personal life know what I do for a living. And so I think they feel comfortable talking to me about some of these issues, especially when it comes to, like you just said, inflation and gas prices and things. People at my kids' soccer tournaments will say, oh, man, I can you believe gas prices, you know? And, and they'll go ahead and make that extra step that I think maybe they wouldn't make if they didn't know what I did and say, can you believe Biden's not doing anything about it? Do you think that voters in general are making that connection, that, that this isn't just a, oh, well, we just came out of a pandemic, like, you know, it's trying to be painted that way. Do you think they're connecting this to the administration? Well, I, I think 100% they are. And, you know, it's also the rents too, right? So the rents are becoming out yeah. of sight for most people. And again, everything else that we're seeing in con- consumables being well at- elevated, 29% in certain cases. And I think they are making the connection because they don't see the administration doing anything to resolve or solve it, right? It keeps going up. Every week is a new rec- record for highest prices, lowest one-day dip in the stock market. All these things. And so there hasn't been a collective solution that we're seeing that says, okay, we're in, in a good trend. And uh, I think that's heavy on everyone's mind. Yeah, you almost want to shield your eyes when you uh, open up the internet or you, you, you uh, look at the news because there's not a lot of great news, especially economically. And it does seem like the administration just kind of shrugging, shrugging their shoulders, going, well, I don't know. What are we going to do? Julio Gonzalez is on the phone with us. He's the CEO and founder of Engineered Tax Services. He's also involved with this new political action, action committee, Hispanic Leadership Trust, and has been involved at the grassroots level for a long time in Florida. So let's talk about immigration, because that's one issue that, uh, I, I guess until Donald Trump, uh, Republicans tended to shy away from a little bit and say, well, we don't want to push away Hispanic voters, but that doesn't seem to be the case as far as enforcing immigration laws, does it? No, it certainly doesn't. And, uh, you know, we've seen this for 11 months, the, uh, the tragedy at the border and the continued impact that it's having on all of us. Look, I think a lot of us came here legally. And so we know a path to do that. And we know that, in doing so, we're really contributing to an overall country in a better way and to see some of the impacts this administration has had on the illegals and how that hurts all of us, I think, has been very impactful to our communities. Yeah, Julio, I'm, I'm asking you kind of an unfair question here, and that's to, you know, speak on behalf of the Hispanic, the average Hispanic voter, which, you know, there's a there's a wide breadth of, of opinion there. But but when what what do you think that voters are looking at the Biden administration right now and saying, you know, why is this administration not enforcing any laws and just allowing basically a, a completely porous border to happen like we've never seen before? Yeah, it's it's you know, I think we all think it's just to get their votes and get them into the system and, you know, continue this process of socialism. I think that's what we're seeing. That's what we're feeling. And certainly, we don't want to go back to the countries we left where we had that kind of government. And I think that's how we feel about the border. I think that's how we feel about everything. I think we don't want handouts. We want hand-ups. And you can't buy us off with these, you know, different types of uh, grant programs. And we don't need to print more money to do that either, right? We don't want more debt. I think we all try to be very responsible in how we handle debt. And we don't see a country doing that. 
um, even as we try to do it at our own home fronts. Julio, last question for you as we're almost out of time here. What do you think is the number one issue that is driving uh, Hispanic American voters toward the Republican Party? I really think it is two things. One, inflation, inflation, inflation. But I also think it's layered in with the fact that we've been we've left socialistic communities in Cuba and South America, Latin America, Central America. And we're concerned about what we're seeing here being trending towards that. So it's so it's economic, but it's 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 sort of deeper rooted than that. It's 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 almost philosophical is what you're saying. I think it is. And I think it's evolving and growing. And I think the uh, Republican Party is seeing that. Yeah, I think it's very, very interesting. And it's such a huge shift that we're watching happening in real time over, you know, just a few years here. It's certainly something to keep an eye on. Thank you so much for your time and expertise this morning, Julio Gonzalez. And uh, good luck with the Hispanic Leadership Trust. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. More Wiggins America right around the corner. And, of course, if you've missed any of the show thus far, you can rewind on the Odyssey app or you can pick up the podcast. As I'm told, it's all over the place now. The podcast for Wiggins America can be found at, apparently, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, of course, at Odyssey Podcasts as it originated. I think all these other places are just picking it up. Hey, that's great. Go for it. You can type in Wiggins America and find it anywhere now, so that's cool. Long have we got the Hoobastank of Talk Radio, Wiggins America. All right, Trish is in studio to close out the show. And it has been a remarkably intense show. I don't know if intense is the right word, but we haven't joked around as much as we're used to. Partially because we've been talking about supernatural stuff, prophecy, stuff like that. So I figured since we're on the topic, instead of doing jokey jokey, I would ask you what you think about that stuff. And I won't even box you in. I mean, we were talking about sort of Bible prophecy slash prophetic stuff leading up to 2020 and i don't know if you want to like remark on any of that stuff because you you know that there was a lot of that going into 2020 right i think even people who don't follow it knew were aware of it yeah a little bit can you give me the the short the cliff notes version of that um i mean we went all over the place with it but just that there were so many self-proclaimed prophets saying things that were going to happen throughout Trump's term. And they mostly were looking at Trump's second term or the election itself, which we concluded part of you, part of you has to be like, well, that was wrong. But then you're also like, but Trump could run again. (laughs) So I can't necessarily say no to all of it, but I, I, to sum it up, really appreciate when people come out and they put specifics on prophetic words or predictions in general but if you're going to attach god to it to me a lot of it is so vague that you could kind of walk away and go oh well i i have no idea if that did happen i have no idea if it didn't therefore there's no way to validate the person who said it so that doesn't mean that they're wrong it just also doesn't mean that they're right however there are some people leading up to 2020 especially it was like really active in this that they would make predictions about political things, social things, whatever. And 
they were very specific to either years or people or events and stuff. And some of them happened and some of them didn't. And I just find that stuff fascinating when you can test it. That's all. I agree with you. But you don't follow, follow it. No, I don't know. Prophecies and things. But no. What about just open it up to the, the world of supernatural? Yeah, I believe in ghosts. Well, I believe in... I believe in an afterlife, and I believe that people have experiences with whatever that afterlife looks like. Okay. So a good friend of mine passed away, and my wife, my wife, (laughs) I've got something else to tell you. Uh, His wife, my friend, and I were sitting in their garage one night, and we were talking about him, and all of a sudden the power went out. And so she went, and she grabbed a flashlight, and his soon as and like the way the conversation we were having was kind of revolving around him and signs and so the power outage was strange there was no storm and as soon as she came back in one light in their garage started flashing and it was only when she walked by it and i truly believe i know that there's no way to actually prove this but i truly believe that he was there with us does that make sense why do you think that was him i mean aside from what you just told me was there anything that it was intangible that you were like, well, that it was a feeling or something. It was, it was sheer timing, I think, given what we were talking about, and it's. I know people say this all the time, but you almost had to be there. Mm-hmm. I just knew. Is that the was that the first time something like that had happened? Are you prone to that? Or, I am not prone to that. Would you call yourself a skeptic? Oh, absolutely. So, so the fact that you're saying this one broke through your skepticism, yeah, is saying something. Are there other events like that? So it's it's kind of strange. You kind of put me in a weird spot here because I came in and said, I firmly believe. And now you're like, so you're saying you're a skeptic. But yeah. yeah. And, no, no, that's okay. I mean, these things do coexist. Yes. Yeah. So I don't have any other ex- experiences like that. Not really. That's not true. I had one other time when I was younger, I woke up and there was like a man standing in the corner and... um. I was up and I could see his shadow and I sat up and I turned my light on and he was gone and that was pretty traumatizing, but I've chalked it up to really lucid dreaming or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but I would say I mostly push that away because it scares the heck out of me. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that, that there's, that's a large category of people mm-hmm. who they don't want to mess with it because it's just all frightening, so it all gets kind of put into a, a, the same bowl and and shoved away. And it's not that you don't believe, it's just you're like, I don't necessarily want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you don't like, but you do like scary movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you like the thrill of knowing it's not real, but if it, if it crosses over into, uh-oh. I don't want it in my real existence, but I do, whenever I had the experience with somebody that I loved, that I had lost, that I believed made a connection there it was not scary Ooh. it wasn't scary at all i i i've never experienced that and i can't it's hard because i'm talking about somebody who i can't necessarily tell their story for them but kind of in a in a broad sense uh a friend of mine lost his sister and there were stories like that from multiple family members who were all probably in that same boat where they, they weren't necessarily, they were grieving, but they weren't looking, they weren't people who were wearing crystals and looking for these things. They were just grieving. And then all of a sudden something would happen and they would go, uh, whoa, whoa mm-hmm. 
that was something. And uh, I, I wish I could get more into specifics, but I would feel a little bit like I was betraying their trust to do that. But I, I will say, I, I've never had a ghost story, but a um, good friend of mine who is now actually a pastor in Kenya, who, so he, he, went, <laughs> he went all the way. <laughs> um, not that I'm not just by being here or whatever, but he's, you know, just to say, like, he is absolutely committed to the cause of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the time, he was living here in, in St. Louis. And it was, I was in college age or right out of college. So he was living with three other guys and the house they were living in by all given evidence was probably a, a drug den before they had lived in it. There's, they found drugs hidden in places. They know that there was a lot of weird stuff that had gone on in the house before they had lived in it. And they were just renting it just four dudes, like renting some crap hole place because it was Mm -hmm. cheap you know and they were all musicians so it made sense well one of them had to sleep in the bedroom that was in the attic well the attic bedroom was no i would not do that right no that guy (laughs) pulled the short straw (laughs) excuse me so yeah the three bedrooms on the on the ground floor all kind of right next to each other well mark had to sleep in the attic oh mark and it was a bedroom i mean it wasn't like it was not finished it was but it was separate from everybody else well, Mark would go to sleep like for this the first. This is my and, nightmare, is it, I could, right? Yeah, I mean, this is this is legit because I know I believe all these enough guys. to not want to sleep in this bedroom. Yes, yes, and th- but they were saying the same. They're like, oh, whatever. Like they're big guys, you know. It's who, who cares? Oh, you're fine. What's gonna, dude. Yeah, whatever. Get up there. No and Mark big deal. was a Mark was a wrestler. Like he was just like whatever. I'm fine. I, I don't got care. It. You know, like yeah, you're and you're 20 years old, mm-hmm. so they're not afraid of anything. So he goes up there and is scared to death sure. <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of, of being because in that it's room terrifying. because it's just a weird room. But they all convince themselves like, who cares? This Nothing's going to happen. So I'm, I'm not saying that they were prone to it. They were actually, a, they were prone to not believing it. So a couple weeks into living there, I don't know exactly how long it took, but for a while, nothing was going on. Well, then all of a sudden at night, he'd wake up in the middle of the night. And there was, okay, it's one of those attics where half of it's finished and the other half is still an attic. So there's a little bitty door that goes between. Nope. Don't yep. like that door. Yep. Little bitty door that goes between the finished part and the unfinished yep, part. Yep, I'm familiar with the type of door. I get mm-hmm. away from them as quickly as possible. Yeah, just by looking at yeah, them. Yeah, like, you know that Something wrong with that no door. Good. That's not a human-sized <laughs> door. That's like a little <laughs> troll-sized so door. What's going to come through there and eat yeah. me? So he would wake up in the middle of the night and it would just be going Boom, 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 boom. In the middle of the night. Are we sure his friends weren't doing that? Yes, because I know the friends. They were not doing that to him. They were all asleep. He would run downstairs. They would all be just completely dead asleep, halftime drunk asleep, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, whoa, you know, because he assumed the same thing. Somebody's pulling a prank the first time. Nothing. Okay. Maybe it was, okay. Maybe it was an animal. So maybe something got in there. So pretty creepy, but whatever. Night after night. It was like the same time. And it was not something scratching in there. It wasn't a squirrel. It wasn't even like a raccoon. It was maybe something bigger. It was like somebody sitting on the other side of that door, leaning back on it and kicking it as hard as they could. There was no faking it. It wasn't the wind. This is the ghost of somebody that was trapped there at one point trying to get out? But I do know this. This is where we'll end the show today. The dude that became a pastor had just become a Christian. And he goes, okay, I don't know what this is. But I will tell you one thing. 
I am going to do what I've been told to do, which is to pray and pray in Jesus' name and plead the blood. And we're, so we're going to do that. So these four musicians who are drunks sat down in that room, held hands, and pled the blood of Christ. It never happened again. Right on. Right? And so that story always stuck with me because I'm like, man, that's cool. And so I've had other weird things like people that have had stories like that have come to me and said, hey, tell me what you guys did again. Because I wasn't necessarily, I was like on the fringe of that. But I was I was a Christian too, new Christian. That's why I knew James, the, the pastor. And so we had a lot of conversations about that. So a lot of people who would have weird situations, they ended up coming to us because they heard that story. And so I got to do a lot of like, I don't know, halfway praying or helping people with like weird situations like that. And so I have a lot of those stories, none of them so potent as that one. But man, that always yeah. stuck with me. Always That's stuck crazy. with me. All right. If you want to get the podcast and hear what we were referring to earlier in the show about other supernatural stuff we were talking about, even with old Roy, you can do that at, uh, well, just type in Wiggins America because you can get it in multiple spots. And we will see you next week. at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.